Mother's Day is this weekend, and I know that this can be a day of mixed emotions. If this is a day that brings grief for you, my prayer is that you would know the comfort and the closeness of the Lord in that pain and sorrow. But also, I pray that all of us would know the joy of this high calling that God has put on our lives and that we could celebrate that in a new and fresh way this year. Sister, I know you do not hear this enough, but you are doing a great job. I am so proud of you. What you do matters, but more than that, you matter. And I am so grateful you're a part of our community. Happy Mother's Day from all of us here at Plus One Parents. Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm grateful to have you with me today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. Today's conversation surrounds the topic of deliverance. And we're talking about how the suffering and the difficult things that we experience in this life actually are similar to things that we can observe in the book of Exodus, but how God also reveals in the midst of those circumstances who He is and how He's working. I'm joined in this conversation by Jen Wilkin, and I'm excited because Jen has done two back-to-back studies on the book of Exodus, one called God of Deliverance, the other called God of Freedom. And in this, Jen unpacks a lot of incredible truths that we can apply to our own experiences when it comes to suffering and deliverance, but that also point to the greater spiritual journey that all of us are on. Something exciting is in the works, and we are adding a new segment to the Christian Single Moms podcast in which we'd like to feature you. On our website, you can record a question that you'd like to have answered or share something that God has been teaching you in this season. Submissions can be anonymous and may be played right here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. For more details, check out the link down in the show notes. Something I've learned in my season as a single mom is that loneliness actually does not have that much to do with being alone. Hurt from our relationships in the past causes us stress around relationships in the present, and the ways that we have learned to deal with that stress can help us to feel safe but actually keep us away from the meaningful relationships that we desire. To start to unravel this, to identify your stress style and discover the pathway to healing, you can take our quiz called What's Your Stress Style? And you'll find a link for that down in the show notes. In the midst of leaving an abusive situation, God used the book of Exodus to reveal to me some things about my own journey and where He was in the midst of all of it. And I just hope that through this conversation, He'll illuminate something new and special for you today. Here's my conversation with Jen Wilkin. Jen, I am glad to have you with me. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. Jen, I am so thrilled to have this conversation with you because many of the listeners, and even myself included, 
either have been through some kind of deliverance experience or maybe going through that right now, maybe walking through some difficult things. Yeah. But I have found in my own journey that the book of Exodus just has so much that it can illuminate for us when we're going through some of these difficult circumstances and just understanding where God is in the midst of all of it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a sweeping story of deliverance. Um, it is a story that has a lot to say about um, our own experience. Anyone who is a believer in Christ being delivered from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of life. Mm -hmm. But it does also have application beyond that just for the ongoing and continuing um, ways in which we need the Lord to show up in our lives. Yeah. And there are lots of layers to this. So we're going to try and touch on as much as we possibly can. But at the very outset, though, it does start with the Israelites enslaved and yes. they are crying out to God. And many of us can relate to those types of experiences in our own lives. We are just desperate and we're crying out to the Lord and we may not be seeing those immediate answers. And certainly for the generations that the Israelites were enslaved, they weren't necessarily seeing movement right away, not, not initially. So how can we understand in these times where we're crying out to God where his heart is and who he is? Well, we do that by looking back at his faithfulness to all generations. When we have a hard time seeing his faithfulness to us in our own current generation, we, instead of trying to strain our eyes forward to see where he will be faithful next, we should look over our shoulder and remember all of the times that he's been faithful before. And you think about the Israelites, 400 years there in Egypt, 400 years. I would imagine that's a few years longer than they would have liked for things to go on, yeah. especially when we hear about just how difficult their, um, their slavery was when the book of Exodus opens. But God allows fruit to be yielded in season. And actually the opening lines of the book of Exodus don't talk about how hard pressed they are in their servitude. They start by talking about how fruitful and multiplicative the nation has been during its time where it is being pressed down. Mm. And I do think, you know, we have a tendency, especially in Christian circles to think if I'm obedient to God, or if I do X, then God will do Y. And we, um, we look for a particular kind of yield in our relationship with God that is more bound to what I have done and therefore he will do instead of what he will do at just the right time. He is always yielding fruit in the lives of those who love him, even though it may not be in the ways that we would expect it or measure it or according to the timetable that we would set. Yes. And even in that, you know, they, there was this big shift that was going to have to happen. They were going to have to move out of everything they'd known, even if it was difficult, even if it was oppressive, that was all that they knew. And to get to the point though, where they would have the courage to actually flee and to leave it, and mm -hmm. then to move into the things that God would take them into, there had to be a character that was going to be developed in that time. And it had, there also had to be this trust that started to be cultivated. And a lot of times, you know, when these things are going on, it's hard to find that gratitude, that thing that I'm grabbing onto, you know, I'm, I'm not truly sure that I want to be thankful for this thing that I'm in right now, but that in, as you said, looking backwards and kind of looking around, we have the ability through gratitude to see, oh, that's where God is. And that's what he's doing. And this is, you know, I see a little bit more of a glimpse of what he's building. And it takes our eyes away from the circumstance enough that it can start to transform us 
so that we have the ability to be ready for whatever it is he's preparing us for. That's absolutely right. And I, I, someone reflected earlier this week how in all of Paul's letters, he never prays that those he is writing to will be delivered from a circumstance. He mm-hmm. prays instead for their character and that they would have everything they need according to God's riches and glory. Uh, and I think that's really instructive for us not to say that we don't beg the Lord to change a circumstance, but that we do recognize that the Lord can use a circumstance that seems to be dragging on longer than our human understanding thinks that it should to do the, the most important work of conforming us to his image uh, of, of growing holiness in us. I think it was Ellie Wiesel who said uh, he was a Holocaust survivor and he said, I can't change my circumstance. I can't control my circumstance, but I can control how I respond to it. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously that doesn't mean that um, you are content in a circumstance where injustice is happening, but it does mean that you can know as you await justice and as you seek justice, that the Lord is still doing a profound work in building character into you, that none of it is wasted. Even when to us, it feels like there's not movement in the direction that we would like or hope. I'm so grateful that you just said that because that is what we are waiting on is that justice. And even God is waiting. I cannot remember where I read this in scripture, but it says that God even waits for that right time for Mm -hmm. justice to be enacted. And that's what Mm -hmm. he does in this Exodus account. And so that we don't have to tolerate circumstances that are unjust. We don't have to learn to just deal with it, that we are waiting God's justice. We are awaiting deliverance in that but that ultimately it is to birth something. And I think this is one of the things in, in your teaching of this that I think is so profound is the understanding of these birth metaphors and that there is something that is coming from this. Would you highlight that for us? Yeah. Exodus is widely acknowledged to be a birth narrative. You can find that said in just about any commentary you would pick up uh, about it. But I'm just going to be really honest. Most of these commentaries are written by men. And so they have a fairly limited interest in exploring how far that metaphor might go. Right. <laughs> you know, I've had four kids. And so yeah. I'm like, hmm, I'm seeing some stuff here. And yeah. I'm not the only one. But I would just say that predominantly in the, in the commentaries, you see it mentioned in the moved on from. But the book of Exodus is shown showing us that um, Israel goes into Egypt uh, as 70 people, right? And that's what we find at the beginning of the book. And Israel uh, is, is, is in what is called Mizraim, is that that's the Hebrew name for Egypt. And it means the narrow place. And God says that he will deliver his people from the narrow place to a land that is broad and flowing with milk and honey. And so here they are in the narrow place, the, the, the place of pressing in is the other way that you would translate that. And then we, t- we hear about groaning and we hear about struggles. And then we hear about 10 labor pains um, that the, these contractions that go through the plagues that God sends on, on Egypt, at which point God delivers his children through doorways of blood and water into um, the wilderness. And it's there that they cry to him. They cry to him for, for sustenance. They say, sustain us. And he does. And then he carries them to the foot of Mount Sinai, where he is prepared to train his child up in the way 
that it should go. And he gives them his good law. And then he tells them how there is a home that can be built where he can dwell with them. So it really is an incredible uh, just announcement of the goodness of God and his sovereign hand in um, delivering a people who, you know, they're they're helpless. And I think what, what we can miss, because we live in a time where healthcare is pretty good uh, and infant mortality rates are relatively low, mm-hmm. that in the mind of the ancient reader, birth was so often associated with death that not every baby made it safely into the world. And so, um, so to the original reader, they understand that this is not just simply a birth narrative, but it is a passage from, um, from, from almost certain death to life, Mm. um, which is why it's so analogous, you know, to our salvation experience that we're dead in our sin and we're delivered into life, um, through the sovereign hand of God. I think that that is the most poignant corollary in all of this is the fact that this is pointing to our salvation experience, that the birth pains that we're experiencing in this life, all the suffering that we're experiencing, it all is pointing us towards the savior, pointing us towards a need to be rescued through not just these circumstances, but then from a a greater perspective. And that's something that over time, though, I gain that perspective. And I think that's the thing right. when we're talking about these things, we cannot bypass the the suffering part and get straight to the, the like glory of like, yes, this is what it was pointing me towards, but it can happen. It does happen, you know, that mm-hmm. it, it, that weeping is for a time, but that there can be over, over the story arc, there can be that revelation then of like, oh, wow. So this circumstance actually was pointing me to something so much greater. You know, so like in my story, it's to say, okay, so I was in this very abusive situation, but in being delivered from it, it was a connection to the oppression of sin and the fact that I needed just as much more so to be rescued in the sense of sin and salvation and eternity as much as being rescued from this particular experience. And so where all of this struggle of learning how to live life on your own and learning how to stop running towards the things that you ran towards in the past that were unhealthy. It's just a greater recognition of like, wow, this is actually, it has so much more to do with our spiritual journey towards eternity. Absolutely. And I think it's important for us to also notice how the storyline goes in Exodus as it relates to what you're talking about. Like when you receive freedom from the oppressor, what God instructs Israel then to be is a nation that does not oppress anyone. Mm -hmm. Not only that they don't oppress others, but that they uh, affect freedom for those who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I think we can look back on our our own times of powerlessness where we were powerless to save ourselves and the Lord intervened either miraculously or through the agency of someone who was there to help us get out of a terrible situation. And what we need to do is, is what Israel needed to do and often forgot to do is in our freedom to not be someone who then turns a blind eye to those who are still in a place of helplessness Mm -hmm. and need us to be the agent by which they receive uh, their own agency. Mm, that's so good. Before we move into that, I want to I want to dive into that a little bit, little bit more. But before we do, as yeah. we're talking about birth pains and suffering and things like that, how does all of this then help us to understand our suffering? Because a lot of times we may have this sense of like, oh, well, I'm, I'm just being punished. Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it is always important to ask, is this happening to me because of something that I did, right? But many times we check that off the list and we go, no, this is just truly bad. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, sometimes it's because of something that someone else is doing to us. And sometimes it's just a circumstance. It could be illness, it could be loss of a loved one, anything. Um, But what we can know from the Exodus story is that God is a God who sees and who hears and who acts. And I don't say that lightly. I don't say that when you're enduring trial and you're hard pressed that you should be like, you know what, I'm just going to wait on the Lord because that's what the Bible says to do. The reality is that some of us are are delivered from our circumstance um, much later than we, we would like to be. Yeah. You know, and from my own experience, you know, I think even sometimes there are times that we are hesitant to even move into deliverance, even if we start to see that door cracked open, that we may have some hesitation about moving towards it. And that happened to me that there was something that had occurred about five years before my marriage actually ended that would have seemed at that time that this door was cracking open. And at that moment, I remembered saying, nope, but I think God can can fix this. I think that he's going to, you know, work it all out this way. I'm going to stay put. But even in that, even in continuing to suffer for a little while longer, it actually was something that God continued to work so that when that time came, that this, this situation was over, that I was actually in a way better space emotionally, spiritually. I was more grounded in my faith. Um, mm-hmm. I was able to clean up some things for myself that I needed to have right with God before mm-hmm. I was going to be able to move into the next chapter. And he worked out various details that made that timing just so much more obvious. And it was, so it's things like that, that, you know, when we look at timing and we look backwards and we say, oh, I wish I had done this differently, or I wish that, you know, where we may have had the ability to affect it, that we can look at it and say, no, 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 God is in the midst of all of those details. He knew that I was going to hit pause. He knew that I was not going to yeah. be ready to step forward yet. And mm-hmm. still yet he was working behind the scenes so yeah. that that deliverance though would be complete, more complete, I should say, because we're always continuing to move, right? Yeah. There are three words every abuse survivor must hear. God hates abuse. Plus One Parents has released a devotional for abuse survivors called Safe Haven, a devotional for the abused and abandoned. Safe Haven is a biblically-based guide to abuse, giving you the tools that you need to identify it, respond to it, and heal from it. Safe Haven is now available in paperback, ebook, and audiobook formats, and you can locate a link to purchase your copy down in the show notes. As you alluded to earlier, all of this, though, is for a greater purpose in our life stories, too, as well, though, when it comes to offering freedom. So being given freedom, but then offering freedom and that there is this kingdom of abundance really is what we are moving into. Would you speak to that some? Yeah, I think when we think of an abundant mentality toward life, we think that it means 
just, you know, the Lord just lavishes blessing upon us according to whatever our own expectation is. But what abundant living looked like for the nation of Israel was God giving 10 laws to them. And they weren't just 10 laws. They were 10 moral laws that were going to undergird every other law that the nation was going to live according to. But the most significant um, takeaway from those laws, you know, you know that they're boiled down in the New Testament to love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. Um, But when you love the Lord your God with heart, soul, mind and strength, you are able then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The way that we love ourselves is abundantly. Can we just say that? Like mm. I, we think, oh, that means I need to treat my neighbor fairly. Um, but the call to love neighbor is not a call to love our neighbor according to what they quote deserve. It's to love them extraordinarily. It's to treat them not just fairly, but preferentially. Mm. Uh, it's to give them deference. It is to outdo our, one another in showing honor. So that means that when I'm thinking about how I can love my neighbor, I'm not looking for a bare minimum compliance. I'm looking for how I can go above and beyond because that's exactly what I want. Uh, and that's the way that we have been dealt with in Christ. We've been given an abundance uh, from the God who is the author of all things. And if he's the author of all things, then he's the owner of all things, which means that anything that I have in this life is something to steward, not something that terminates on me, mm-hmm. that shapes me into a person who regards God's good gifts, not as, a, as something that I'm a terminus for, but I'm a distribution point for. Mm-hmm. And I begin to look at the way that I spend my money and my time very differently than someone who believes that everything in this life terminates on them. And I start looking for ways to give instead of ways to store up treasures on earth as, mm-hmm. as Jesus um, admonishes people in the Sermon on the Mount, because in the very act of living the abundant life of distribution, you are storing up treasures in heaven. It just, it's, it's an, that's why I believe that the law of God is referred to in, in the book of James as the law that gives freedom, because it gives us the freedom to live life untethered to the things of earth, mm-hmm. to enjoy them, but not to be controlled by them. Mm, that is so good. Untethered to the things of earth. I think that, oh, that's something, you know, as we talk about this deliverance account, you know, the familiarity of things and even, you know, good things can Mm -hmm. sometimes be a snare for us. And whether or not though, again, when it comes to whatever it is that God is moving us into, when we consider the deliverance to the kingdom of life, you know, when we consider what that is entailing for us and we look at that longer timeline of, of all of salvation history, essentially, rather than just this little tiny life that I've got here on earth. And it just gives us such a grander perspective on things like we've been talking about here, whether it's suffering or abundance, those types of things. Um, But I think it also gives us the ability to understand just how much we have to offer in how much we've been given. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. when we're coming out of this deliverance space, um, we, we may not really be sure how much we really have to offer. And if we could grab on to for a moment, though, really the riches of freedom, as we're talking about, that what we're touching on is shalom. We're touching on that which was broken in the garden that God is using this experience and even the hard parts to restore for us that all of our, our pain is an invitation actually to his comfort and that all of our, our sadness and grief is an invitation to his compassion. So all of the hard parts of this side of it 
actually are leading us in towards that abundance, that that's the thing that we have to receive and to share. And sometimes I think we make that like it's a small thing, (laughs) but even just the kind word from, you know, something that's been birthed out of something hard for you, that is a drink of life-giving water to somebody else. That's right. Well, and you know, the 10 commandments lead off with this reminder. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. And I think we sort of rush past that because we're like, okay, just tell me what I'm supposed to do or, you know, tell me what people used to have to do because we just want it to be an Old Testament thing. Mm-hmm. But I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt is, is the statement that we have to keep ever before us. Because when you are in a time of trial or pressing down, it is not a time where you learn that God is all you want. It is not a time where you learn that God is all you need. It is a time where you learn that God is all you want have. And that's what he is reminding them of. I am all you had to get you out of Egypt. It was all me. And guess what? It still is right now. And guess what? It always will be that all mm-hmm. you have is me. And when we start to forget that and we, we get into exactly what happens to Israel, well, I do have the God who brought me out of Egypt, but now I also have land and I also have mm. belongings. And, you know, this is what the 10 commandments are doing is they are, they're going to um, rightly orient the Israelites toward a wealth that awaits them like an actual, they're going to the land flowing with milk and honey. Yeah. And when they come out of Egypt, they are not owners of property, but he gives them property laws before they even own it. You know mm. why? Because he knows how quickly they will fall into dependence on God plus fill in the blank. Mm. And, and that's us. That's when, when we break the commandment to have no other gods before him, It is not because we stop offering worship to God. It is because we start offering worship to God plus fill in the blank. Mm. And uh, it's, you know, it's in that self-reliance that's looking for something to add to God. It's what Eve and Adam do in the garden. And it's what all of us have done ever since. And it's why we have to return again to the statement of, I am your strong deliverer, um, but I've given you not just life. I've given you abundant life. You know, and I find, you know, once that relief starts to come, that is where that ground gets a little shaky, you know, that when we're in wow. the pit, we're like, okay, God, you're all I have. And, you know, it's easy to cry out to him. It's easy or easier, I should say, yeah. to see where he is and to find him and to experience him. But then as we start to gain that little bit of breathing room, that's the place where we tend to forget. That's the place where mm-hmm. we tend to maybe even think back and go, well, this is really hard. That was really, we want to say easy, but it, what we're really trying to say is familiar, you know, and the, the Israelites do the same thing that they're getting this manna every day. And all they can think about is like, oh, the meat pots, like, <laughs> you know, everything we had back in Egypt, right? Like, you know, and there's a point where they say like, oh, if only we could go back and serve the Egyptians. And it's like, wait a yeah. minute, you guys were not serving, them, right. <laughs> you know? Um, but there is this rose colored glasses sort of thing that can happen though. Sometimes when we're in that mid ground between the promised land or what abundance we're moving towards and the thing that we've just been taken out of. Mm-hmm. But in the midst of that, though, there's some testing and there's yeah. all of that though is meant to kind of is to draw some new character traits up in us, just as what we were talking about before, so that we can move towards the things that God is preparing for us. Would you talk more about how testing and you know all of those things are meant to actually remove Egypt from us? 
Yeah. So when Israel is drawn out of Egypt, God's next task is to get Egypt out of Israel. It's, it's the Egyptian way of thinking and way of being that is sort of sticking to them like smoke clings to a garment. And so there they are in the wilderness. And I think we should first pay attention to the fact that God takes them intentionally into the wilderness. Um, and, and he does not take them immediately into Canaan. And then we find out, you know, they're going to be disobedient. And so they're going to be 40 years in the wilderness. But if you stretch out the metaphor to apply it to the Christian life, um, we if you look at the time in Israel as our time before we are in Christ, and then we are delivered, and you know, as, as Jesus talks to Nicodemus about, we're born again into um, life as a believer. Uh, and then one day we will go to be with him in paradise. And that means that all of this life is the in-between space. It's the mm-hmm. wilderness wandering. And it is the place of testing. And so we can know that the testing of our faith is what we should expect as those who are currently in the wilderness and that the testing of our faith is good. It's good for us. Mm. Um, it is it is building us into who we should be. Now, Israel walks in a ton of disobedience in the wilderness wandering time. We should pay attention, right? We should we should pay attention and learn. I would much, I don't know about you, but I would much rather learn my lessons through someone else than by, by my own screw ups. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) We can also learn from their example that, uh, that grace abounds to those who, who return to disobedience Mm -hmm. again and again, but never tread lightly on that grace. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so we can know that there is always purpose in what happens to us during the wilderness years, but we can also expect that being in the wilderness means that we should be dependent on God for our daily bread. We should be looking um, for the provision of the manna and quail, and we should trust that he will make it uh, available to us at the right time and in the right way. And, and, and to recognize that part of the metaphor of Israel being called out of their slavery is that you can see that sin felt more natural to them mm-hmm. than holiness. Like, mm-hmm. And that, that's all of us, right? Yeah. Um, and so part of what learning to, to walk as Christ walked and to look as Christ looks is to recognize that the thing that feels most natural to me is, is very often the thing that is harmful. Mm-hmm. Um, and that holiness, though it is what we were created for, um, is hard to develop the right appetite for uh, because our appetites have become so turned upon things that are pulling us away from the Lord. But when we begin to understand that the Christian life, the purpose of the Christian life is not simply to just make us holy, but to actually do, to turn us to who we were created to be in Eden, um, that, that to me is a game changer. It's like, wait a minute, this is, this is what it means to be fully human is to serve the Lord uh, in the splendor of his holiness. Um, That's what I was created to do. And so even though learning that may initially feel counterintuitive, it's actually the most natural and good thing for me to pursue. Mm. I appreciate so much what you just said too, about grace abounding to the disobedient, that we can look at the Israelites being disobedient and the fact then that they would wander for 40 years and say, oh, well, that's the consequence. Mm-hmm. But if we really look at it from the perspective of Egypt being removed from them and the sanctification, they mm-hmm. needed more time to be disciplined. Otherwise, they weren't going to be ready for what they were going to have to step into. That as they were going to cross over into the promised land, there weren't, it wasn't just like, here's the land, go ahead, take it. Like there were all these battles they were going to have to fight. And if they hadn't got the 
those weaknesses developed out of them, they were going to be annihilated. And so it's actually the grace of God in this, that they would have to wander around to be sanctified. Mm -hmm. And I think that just, that just makes me look at my own life and the places where I'm like, I wish I hadn't done it that way to go. It's all for sanctification though. It's all for the purpose of knowing God more fully in his kindness and his goodness as Mm -hmm. he develops out those things that ultimately are harmful to me and the people around me, those tendencies that I have. And to just begin to learn what it is to walk a new way. Yeah. It's clumsy. It feels like a baby, you know, learning to walk and you fall and all those kinds of things, but it's, it's layered in grace. Absolutely. Yep. And I mean, you look at the New Testament account of Jesus, there's a reason that he's tested in the wilderness for 40 days, right? Uh, he's, he is fulfilling all righteousness that Israel did not and, and would not. Um, but you look to his example in that and you see in all three of the ways that he's tempted, what he demonstrates is perfect submission to the will of the Father. And, and that's what Israel keeps balking against. And so when we ask, you know, well, what am I supposed to be about? It is perfect submission to the will of the father. We want to walk as Jesus walked. In relation to the life of Jesus, Exodus has very many pieces of it that are prophetic about mm-hmm. the coming of Jesus and mm-hmm. about his death and resurrection. Would you tie up this conversation about deliverance and how this is really pointing us how this whole narrative is pointing towards the death and resurrection of Jesus. Gosh, I mean, there are so many, um, we can hit a couple of them. I think most people are familiar, you know, that the Passover has so many connections to the shed blood of Christ, that he's our Passover lamb. We see all of that in the, in the new Testament play out. Um, we also see, I mean, one of the prophetic, um, connections, if you, if you ever look at the account of, um, Jesus early days in the book of Luke, you find that there are all kinds of connections in his birth story to the birth narrative in Exodus. Uh, interestingly, we find that King Herod, who is the King of the Jews is the one who is putting to death the male children. So that means that he's cast in the role of Pharaoh, uh, in the, in the new Testament account, which is to show us how far Israel has gotten from where they were when they themselves were ransomed out of slavery, that the one who is called the king of the Jews is actually trying to kill the one who is sent to crush mm-hmm. the head of the serpent. Um, and so there are a lot of parallels there that we, we don't have um, time to get into now, but uh, probably the, the, the biggest one uh, in the book is, as the book of Hebrews points out, that Jesus is the true and better Moses. Uh, he's the one whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He is the better intermediary. He's the intercessor that we need. Uh, whereas Moses is, honestly, he's a murderer. Uh, he's disobedient to circumcise his child, uh, and, and the Lord has to come after him and basically threaten to kill him. Uh, he is uh, also a doubter at times. You know, uh, Granted, he had a big task to fulfill, um, but and then ultimately he does not get to enter the promised land because his anger flares at an inconvenient time. And so he is a strong deliverer and a man who is credited as being righteous. Um, But he is like you and me, he was saved by grace through faith alone. And that's Mm -hmm. why he is mentioned in Hebrews 11, by faith, Moses. Um, But we understand him to be a shadow 
a type that is fulfilled in Christ, Christ Mm -hmm. who lays down his life for those that he came to save. We see Moses do similar things to that, not to the point of shedding blood. And it's Christ who will go to the point of shedding blood to to ransom us from, from the captivity to sin and slavery and to bring us into the kingdom of light. Jen, at the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Uh, I would want this group to know that I was raised by a single mom. Mm. One of the things that I get angriest about in Christian circles is when single parents are told that their children are going to suffer coming from a broken home. And I want the women who are listening to this podcast to know that that is absolutely not true. Um, Research shows that a child needs one stable adult to become a healthy functioning adult themselves. And in so many cases, we have single moms who are single moms because it was the path for them to be that one stable adult for the children who are in their care. And so I want to say to the women listening to this podcast, there is no malediction over your parenting. You are not in a second best scenario. I'm I fully acknowledge the difficulty of being a single parent, and that is extremely hard. If the church were to function the way it is supposed to, they will function as the family of God who will surround you with not just one functional adult, but with many. And that is my prayer for you, that you would be in a church that ministers to you in that way, because that was my experience as well. But there is so much hope for you. And I think we can all acknowledge that there are plenty of broken homes that have two parents who are still married to each other. And so I want you to take hope that the Lord sees and the Lord cares, and he does not disdain the good work that you are doing. He honors it. And I pray he would just resource you and surround you with every good thing through the church, which is our true and better family. And I am so grateful for that word from your heart. People can't see both of us right now, but both of us are (laughs) choking up and tearing up simultaneously. But you just said everything that is in my heart, but it is the hope of my heart. And you have seen it in your own life. And it's just so um, such an encouragement to me as I'm raising my three kids on my own Mm -hmm. um, to hear that. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Uh, Jen, would you tell listeners about your resources and how they can follow along with you? Yeah, I mean, probably the easiest one-stop place to find everything that I'm up to is my website, jenwelkin.net. But I write Bible studies to help grow us in Bible literacy. So they're over entire books of the Bible from start to finish. I've written some books on the character of God and um, the the call to holy living for Christians. And then I have a podcast that I'm on with a couple of my dear friends, JT English and Kyle Worley. It's called Knowing Faith. And we have um, discussed about issues of theology and interpretation of the Bible uh, in in ways that we hope are accessible to everyone because we believe that the Bible is for everyone. So you can take a listen to that. Fantastic. And I will include links in the show notes to make it easier for the listeners to find those. But thank you so much for sitting down with me today. So happy to be on. Thanks for having me. 
If you enjoyed this conversation, you might also enjoy episode 108, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, Finding Soul Rest and Redemption in Encountering the Kindness of God with Dr. Dan Allender. Also check out episode 112, Decoding the Narcissist, Exposing the Faces of Narcissism to Find Freedom from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse with Chuck DeGroat. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.